Everybody, welcome back to Cover B Real Extra. Cover B Real Extra Sandman. It is a show. And Cover B will let you know. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> oh, I get... Uh. It's got cool settings and interesting stories. And hot people of all sexual and gender categories. Hey. <laughs> What's up? I, I didn't I didn't expect it to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Once I got the joke, I was like, oh, okay, that was cute. Yeah. And then it It just kept going. It kept going. Yeah. And I as, you know As the best humor tends to. <laughs> the the rhyme was pretty spot on too. Mm? I, I enjoyed the triplets in the end. I, I know, right? There's I'm a pro. <laughs> I say this to everyone. This is top notch. I'm, you know what? I that was the best we've got. We'll talk to you guys later. Have a yeah. great. Anyway, rest go of your watch day. Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are here to talk about Netflix's Sandman, uh, the Netflix adaptation of Neil Gaiman's uh, wonderfully classic Sandman series of comics from Vertigo. Indeed, uh, it is on Netflix in its entirety. Uh, you should be watching it if you haven't already, because uh, it's very, very good. Yes. Uh, Sandman, for those who don't know, is a fairly hard-to-hammer-down story. Uh, for the most part, it focuses on a group of entities called the Endless, namely one of the Endless named Dreaming. All of the Endless represent physical anthropomorphic manifestations of different concepts philosophical concepts so there's dreaming death desire delirium destruction despair uh it's a bunch of d's destiny they're all d's <laughs> dick um <laughs> everyone's favorite endless we really don't need an anthropomorphic manifestation of that please <laughs> yeah already got the republican party um <laughs> anyway, uh, so these entities go about their lives doing various different things. Uh, for the most part, they're just in servitude to humanity. They exist because humanity exists and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They all rule over their own domains uh, and enact their will upon uh, humanity. Dreaming, uh, dreams domain is the dreaming which is the you know manifestation of all imagination, et cetera, et cetera. There's dreams, there's nightmares, there's hopes, there's visions. Uh, it's all Ender, and he rules over it like a weirdly arrogant, stoic D-bag most of the time. But that's, <laughs> that's where the story kind of really takes off. It opens with Dream being captured uh, by a man who's intending to capture his sister, Death, but is an amateur sorcerer and messes the whole thing up. So he spends a little over a hundred years trapped in this man's basement. And then eventually this man's son's basement before finally being able to make his escape and return to the world of the dreaming to find it in shambles. 
uh, and he has to kind of go about and recollect his things and recollect missing missing nightmares and missing uh, dream elements. Uh, and that's really where the story takes hold. It's also a story about him learning to be a bit more humble uh, and stop being such an arrogant D-bag, as previously you mentioned. An arrogant dream bag, ah. if you were. Which is I what mean, the D obviously stands for. I was going to say, D-bag just sort of stands for any of the endless, right? Yeah, that's what the ninth endless is, D-bag. <laughs> anyway, uh, the comics are great. If you haven't read them, they are one of the finest examples of literature in a graphic form. Neil Gaiman is an amazing creator uh, and deserves all the all the praise that he has received over the years and Sandman is an incredible book. It's really, really fun. The original comics take place in the DC universe. So you do have, uh, uh, cameos and appearances from characters like John Constantine and Etric and the demon and even like Hawkman. I think some of the later, uh, issues have actual appearances from like justice league members and stuff. But, um, so it does, it is firmly planted in the DC universe. This, however, you might be saying, if you're listening to this and were unaware that this was happening or that you knew it was happening, you were unaware it was a DC property. But hey, Chris, aren't the DC things not coming out on HBO Max? Um, <laughs> to which I would say, yes. Uh, my understanding of it is there was some sort of weird licensing thing, like Netflix grabbed up the licensing to Sandman way long ago before the HBO Max Warner Bros. kind of deal happened. That's my understanding of it. I may be way off, there may be some sort of more nuanced legal thing that happened, but, uh, to my knowledge of it, the Sandman property was bought basically isolated from the DC Universe. <laughs> How very Sony of them. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, though, because you would think that means we get no DC characters, but we do. We do get, you know, we have a Constantine, even though it's Joanna Constantine. And yes, the actual pronunciation is Constantine. Get used to it. <laughs> Gaiman and Alan Moore have corrected us all. It's Constantine. There's no more, no room for a gif-jif argument here. <laughs> I guess if we really want to get into it, the creator of the GIF has said it was GIF. Anyway. Um, <laughs> giraffe, your move. Uh, anyway. Boom. <laughs> so uh, we do get a Joanna Constantine. We do actually even get a Hector Hall, technically, which is the son of Hawkman um, in the comics, oh. who eventually dies becomes a ghost, gets trapped in the dreaming, uh, and then I believe goes on to assume the role of, like, the classic Sandman, oh. who is, like, a kind of post-noir superhero, um, if I'm remembering that correctly. No Etric and the Demon. We do get Lucifer, which we'll talk about because it was, like, the best part of the show. Anyway, <laughs> I've rambled a ton. T, what were your thoughts on Netflix's The Sandman? Ah. Uh. So, one of my favorite things about this is that it's just so dang beautiful. They did such mm -hmm. an incredible job of 
building this world and building our world in, you know, in relationship to the dreaming and the visuals are stunning and the character development fits with the way that they depict the characters and, and the way that it, they relate to the world around them. It, the cinematography is stunning. It's just, it's one of those things that we got a part of what makes the Sandman so great in the comic form is that it's beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. And then translating that to a TV show or a movie can sometimes be tricky because you can lose some some of the nuance. But I feel like they did an incredible job giving us something that is just genuinely beautiful to look at. Like, mm-hmm. this is one of those shows that I wouldn't mind, like, turning the sound off and watching with subs. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like, it's, you don't lose anything. It's, like yeah, and visually and it's just such a good adaptation like they yeah. kept it so true and i you know you spoke of how important and um incredible the original sandman graphic novel and, and comics were and it's true i i studied the first full volume of sandman in a graphic novel class in college like mm. it has literally become educational literary mm-hmm. content um, that's how important and significant this book is. And I, I think it's impressive to see that over time, Gaiman was able to even further refine and uh, perfect things that he was already working on and he was already like manifesting in his original iteration, but bringing it into a modern scenario where it fits in a modern way and it doesn't lose anything. I mean, that's something to say about the timeliness of, or timelessness, really, of his work, is that he was able to take something that is not modern or recent and kind of refabricate it for a modern audience. Mm-hmm. And nothing was lost. Nothing had to be forced in. Nothing had to be manipulated. Yeah, It just, things were tweaked so that they made sense in a modern setting. And it worked beautifully. Yeah, and it, you know, it really shows you the power of having the original creator on board to help navigate these things. Yeah, You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, having having Gaiman have such a presence. And this this really works for him, too, because he's such an auteur. He's such a, like, hands-on in all the elements, very, like, he has a very solid vision for what he wants He out wants to of, feel that pain. Out of his projects. <laughs> and, um... You you feel that here, and it's really interesting. I think I actually said this to you uh, just last night, I think. But um, it's it's such an interesting adaptation because while it does make changes, so often when you see like comics adapted and then things are changed, it's either to like streamline a story or you know, kind of like you said, make things fit for a modern audience, but in a way that feels I guess marketed, you right. know what I mean? Like we need to change this person because they're just old fashioned and this will sell to the youth. Um, or it's, you know, sometimes these creators will adapt things and change it and be like, screw you. This is my vision of how this is supposed to be. And it just feels like this weird claim to ownership. The changes in this don't do anything but enhance it. And it just feels like this is less an adaptation and more of an evolution right. of this source That's material. That's a great way to put that. In that, you know, it feels like Gaiman was able to kind of go back through and be like, 
I want to do this this way. I think I like this vibe a little bit better. Yeah. I think this works a little bit better. And while there definitely were changes that were probably made, you know, I, I can't vouch for the motivation for any of the changes. There probably were changes that were made to streamline story and make it fit better for TV and et cetera, et cetera. All these like kind of utilitarian changes that you have to have. Um, it really feels like this was Gaiman kind of taking another, getting to take another stab at this as mm -hmm. if, as if doing a reboot or something. Yeah. Um, and just getting a chance to really like round off the edges, really like smooth this thing out. You it's know? very much a, if I knew then when I know now, this is how I would yeah, have done it. And it's an incredibly faithful adaptation. It like, is. If you absolutely. have read the books, it follows them pace for pace pretty well. It adds a few things, changes some characters, changes some encounters, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't do anything that takes away or really like throws in any stories that you know don't belong in this whole thing yeah you know what i mean like it, it keeps the pace pretty strong even to the extent of the uh the part of the story where he's interacting with his friend basically sandman in like the 1200s 1300s bet death that if she took death away from a human the human would be begging for death within like a hundred years. And so death was like, all right, bet. And <laughs> did it. And, uh, dream was like, okay, guy, you, I'm going to meet you in this tavern a hundred years from now, a hundred years later, they meet up and he's like, what happened? Why am I not dead? What's going on? And then they meet up every a hundred years. And that segment really has, very little to do in terms of what you would traditionally think in a TV story as like progressing the story along. Right. Um, but it does a lot for the character. It's an important part. You know what I mean? It didn't re it doesn't really fit for TV. It's kind of like an anime fluff episode, but it you know also I mean? helps really kind of drip feed concepts and, you know, introduce people and, and things into the world yeah. too. Like, they use that opportunity to kind of really determine uh, Dream's personality and mm -hmm. watch Dream's evolution, but then it also kind of helps drip feed the origin of Constantine. And it it does a really cool job of also showing the evolution of the world as a whole, like yeah. the modern world and giving it some depth and giving it some relationship to our own world and the real world. And, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. It was it was really cool because, like you said, it doesn't really progress the story, but it doesn't have to. It progresses so many other things. Yeah. yeah. It was just it's such an interesting choice. And the series itself, this first season, covers the first two volumes effectively so most people nowadays aren't reading sandman in floppies they're reading them by trades um so we're looking at uh oh what was the preludes and nocturnes and doll's house uh those are the first two volumes uh of sandman and that's what's covered here and it's really really faithful if you were to grab those trades you would see it time up pretty well and that's, like, in my opinion, that's also another interesting thing, is they didn't try to, like, we're going to do one story arc per season. Yeah. They were like, we can do one story arc in five episodes. So yeah. So let's do it, you know, and then let's do the next story arc in the next five episodes. You know, like, it wasn't, 
it wasn't they didn't try to do too much but they also didn't try to condense they weren't like hey a really important thing happens in volume six so let's make sure we do like five volumes five volumes (laughs) in you know yeah and they they didn't really fudge with like the timelines like you see that a lot like i've heard i don't know a lot about like lord of the rings lore and tolkien and stuff but that's the big conversation going on with the lord of the rings show that's coming up is that mm-hmm. apparently the timelines are just all willy jacked up yeah. and there's characters that exist when they shouldn't like hobbits exist and they're not supposed to exist during this time there's period and stuff people and, that are meeting and yeah. having interactions that are coming from very separate timelines and people are like that does not make sense and it's like you know <laughs> I, I think that's a weird choice. Like, I'm sure they did it just because they wanted to they wanted to cast and have on screen these important characters to the Lord of the Rings story. And they didn't want to risk like, oh, well, they'll come in in season two in case season two doesn't happen. Right. But when you're making something for fans. Yeah. Like your audience is going to be fans and then people that probably have like only a at the at the most like a surface idea of who these characters are absolutely like with something like that and even something like sandman like sandman is not something that every dc fan has read no every superman fan every they might have an idea of who dream is who death is you know these characters might have popped up in books they were reading but they're not going to know the story and frequency right. of sandman and it's the same thing with Lord of the Rings. Like, I know Lord of the Rings because of the movies. People who read the books and know about Tolkien and know about this, like, other age of Lord of the Rings are going to be people that have read the books and know about Tolkien. They're not mm-hmm. going to be people that experience the movies and then did a deep dive on Wiki. No. You know? <laughs> it's not. So, like, you're literally making this movie for people that don't know what's happening in this age. And then the people that really, really do. Yeah. There's no in-between. There's no people that are kind of like, oh, man, it's cool that I get to see these two characters that I know a lot about, even though I don't know anything about where they're from or any details about them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, who are you trying to sell this to by being like, look, we got all these characters in in season one. You know, yeah, I'm. And, it's true. I'm the only person I know who fixated on a single character from the Lord of the Rings, and couldn't let it go. Because <laughs> Tom Bombadil, I'm a Tom Bombadil like, stan, yeah. and so that's the. But that's the only character I fixated on. So there might be some people who fixate on one character, but it's doubtful. And so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you're comparing the two, when you're looking at like what's happening over there at the Lord of the Rings show, and then you look at Sandman, which, like I said, was a very true to the book adaptation yeah and it was weird and it was magical yeah and it was broody and it was edgy you know and it it stuck it stood by its guns it ran the diner scene though a little toned down still like as extreme as you would expect as it was an uncomfortable scene and yeah. for those who don't know whence when john gets to the diner be ready because <laughs> that is a classically very uncomfortable moment in comics um and it is very uncomfortable here but it you know they they just did it they went for it because they're they're not making it for people someone somewhere in the middle yeah they're making it for people who know sandman or don't and thus won't have like 
I don't know. It, like, they won't have these, like, inclinations of, like, oh, please get to volume six. Yeah. You know, like, we're making this the way we want to make it, and we're going to make it true, and we're going to make it feel good, and it succeeded. It's so incredible. Speaking of making it how they want to make it, talking of the specific DC characters that people expect to be a certain mm -hmm. way, I think my highlight from this whole thing, you guys know how much of a huge John Constantine fan I am. I am was, such a Constantine gonna, fan. I was going to check you. I'm a stan. I was waiting for you to be like, John Constantine. I was no. Like, Bam. No. <laughs> I know. I, le I listened and I learned and I adapted. I love that character, I I read a ton of it. I'm a huge fan. And so they were talking about, they talk about Constantine before they appear on the screen. And so I was like, how? How is this a thing that's happening? I don't understand. How are they involving this? Mm -hmm. That is a DC property. There are other DC people that have already been John Constantine. I don't understand. And then all of a sudden, we get Joanna. And what I think is the most fascinating part about Joanna Constantine is that I, don't get me wrong. I love the other adaptations of John Constantine we've had. I love the representation. I, I have appreciated most of them. I Even Keanu Reeves was like one of my favorite movies for a long, 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 mm -hmm. long time. Like I before I knew what Constantine was, I loved Constantine. <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. like is I've been a fan a long time. She is probably one of the most faithful adaptations. Of oh, yeah. Constantine, period. Kills it. Ever. Yep. It feels so much like gender doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The things she says, the way she says them, who she says them to, the way she behaves, the way she boots, everything. Everything is so spot on to Constantine. I was like, I don't, how? I don't understand. <laughs> How how did you, as the first female adaptation, out adapt everybody else? Mm -hmm. It's perfect. And it's saying a lot because CW Constantine was very very good. He he's great. Don't get me wrong. I really appreciate that adaptation. But he can't be a hundred percent. Constantine yeah, can't go all in, in a TV. CW yeah. show. You can't. You can go you pretty can't do far it. in CW. I mean, but... you can't call somebody an effing wanker on CW. You can't do it. Like, oh you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. there are limitations um, to what he could do. And so her just being off is just chef's kiss. <laughs> mm -hmm. Casting was wonderful. You know, on that topic, the casting was fantastic. Joanna Constantine was great. Dream was great. Death was great. Uh... Gwendolyn Christie's Lucifer. Oh my God! Holy crap! Just <laughs> amazing, just wonderful, just fantastic. Uh, John D. <laughs> did really, really well. Was effectively creepy and damaged. Yeah. Uh, it was wonderful. It, it's all the casting was incredible. I didn't have any character that I was really like. Rose in the second arc. Lucien. Did a really, really good. Good job. Yeah, Lucien was really, really good. Uh, it was great. Corinthian was, was adequately fun slash menacing. I uh, think um, part of why I loved the adaptation of Lucifer so much is that it felt, it gave me that same impact and like unspoken eerie vibes that we would get from when Tilda Swinton did Gabriel 
in mm. the first original Constantine movie. Yeah. Like, they stole that show for me. Like, that yeah. movie was made by that role. Yeah. You know, it would not have been as impactful. And Lucifer had a very similar impact. It's true. And that's and I, awesome. I like that that's angle. hard to do. I like that angle for uh, Lucifer and Angel characters where they play them really to the, like, old Catholicism, kind of like cherubim type. Yeah. You know, we can cast a female actor or a more feminine actor to play this role because that's how angels were often depicted was like this boyish kind of like very unmasculine very androgynous vibe. yeah yeah and uh it just works it was and so cool she's so menacing and like just powerful in her scenes was, but so subdued yeah it was really really good you're like, i'm excited you're to see kill me. <laughs> excited to see more of that the depiction of hell was done really really well it wasn't all fire and brimstone it was more just like a dark coldness uh, it was more of like a Niflheim kind of thing. Yeah, you know I mean? it was. Um, it was great. I mean, that's and that too. Moving on from that, like the settings, stunning, just amazing. They yeah. did a great job. The VFX teams did a really, really good job. Um, I think, you know, I I love them to death. But Marvel could take a step back and learn that if you take time and give your VFX team time, you get some really cool product. Because they got some really mm -hmm. cool VFX in this. What with sand and powers and dreams and, you know, altering settings and things like that. There's just some really, really cool, really artfully done things in this. And they took their time with it. Mm -hmm. And that's why we got it is because they took their time with it. And uh, Marvel, I love you. I'm glad that you want to pump out tons and tons of crap every year. But <laughs> maybe like dial it back maybe you know cut it to like 70 percent of what you're putting out and then you know give us some better better vfx anyway um yeah it was it was great stuff i don't i honestly really can't think of a complaint like i i often come into things like this and i'm like i really want to like hit something home i think there were a few moments for me where the costume design felt a little boring uh death's costume was the first one that really stood out to me but then there were a few other moments where dreaming or dream just kind of looked like hey here i am <laughs> you know and it's like all right he just like left the trailer and they were like that's fine and just put him on uh, but I really don't, that's such a nitpicky, it didn't take anything away from me, it was just like the, like I said, when I watch these things, I want to kind of like, pinpoint things that I can be like, it wasn't perfect, look, I, it's hard for me, because yeah. it was, it was really good. I, I don't know? have, I, I'm a big complainer about everything, and I, you know, they, they nailed down all the things that I would normally complain about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, I, I thought it was cool. I think it's interesting how they tie the first kind of volume of the books to the second volume of the books. I think it's interesting how they did a good job of like tying characters back to previous yeah. instances, how they introduce people that become important later. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I it was just cool. Like it was well just done. cool. It was, you know, and it's it's endlessly frustrating uh, with everything that's happening over at HBO Max. We have this team, the team at Netflix and Neil Gaiman and 
all the people that worked on this movie showing that you can get good adaptations of DC stuff. Yep. Yep. I I mean... It's like, just pay attention, guys. (laughs) Take your time. Like I've always said, is take your time and put out a good product. But I don't know. I I don't know what the plan is over at HBO Max, but I'm kind of at a point. I was thinking about this the other day because I was sorting comics. I was going through my DC stuff and I got to a bunch of my old Vertigo stuff. And I was like, DC should just sell all their Vertigo licensing to Netflix. Yeah. Clean Room, Imaginary Fiends, oh, uh, Hellblazer stuff, oh, Swamp Thing stuff, like just all the like old Vertigo stuff and like Vertigo things that they used to do that before they got rid of Twilight Children before they got rid of vertigo in the dumbest move they've ever made um but chris black label eh. <laughs> hard pass i uh, mean there's been i i really enjoy nice house on the lake the joe hill hill house stuff has been pretty good but in just, the grand scheme of things there have been so few hits compared to the misses and the, yeah, the yeah. black label stuff i get it it was a financial choice but I used to always get excited when they announce a new Vertigo title. Because Vertigo just felt like this fun, like... It was different. Yeah, this is going to stand out and be its own sort of thing. And it's going to be edgy and punk rock. And it felt cool. And then they were like, hey, no more Vertigo. And then there was a few years of, like, DC's putting out nothing but superhero stuff. And then eventually they were like, we're doing Black Label. And we're going to have Hill House. And, you know, we're going to expand a little bit. And it was like, "Eh, neat. Neat horror stuff. Cool. Anyway, I, 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 there's a part of me that's like, they should just license all their Vertigo stuff out to Netflix. You know what yeah. I mean? Just sell it all to Netflix while HBO Max figures out what the hell it wants to do. And, and I will say, I, you know, one of the strongest points of this whole thing, too, with the Netflix episodes is that they are too long. Mm-hmm. For once, once in a straight-to-streaming something, the episodes... Do not run so long that you're like, I need to go eat something. Yeah. yeah. I need to go to the bathroom. Why is this episode taking too long? And I mean, it makes sense. Everything just makes sense. You add that to them being incredibly paced and nothing feels too compact or too drawn out. It's just, it's good. This is, this should be considered a masterwork of streaming television. It should be considered like the, the way they formatted it. The fact that it wasn't like, pushing to like dramatic cliffhangers and stuff the fact that it was there to tell a story and if it wrapped up its story in five episodes then damn it we'll move on to the next story in the next five the fact that it was you know it was story first and then the streaming platform and the format later like it it just this should be considered a master class of how to do streaming shows agreed they they need to exist and feel different than normal cable television shows. They're not trying to drum up these ratings. They're trying to be like, especially if you're going to release them, like in terms of Netflix's format, I guess, in terms of Netflix's format of like. Drop them all at once. Drop them all at once. This was. Each chapter felt uniquely like succinct, uniquely like it ended in its own thing while still building towards the ultimate culmination of the story. But it didn't feel like. I don't know. It was just, it's it's hard to explain. 
It's it's different. It feels different than most television that you will experience because it plays out more like a comic. It plays out more like a, we have a story to tell and we're going to tell it and we're going to use whatever time and format we need. And that's a great way of approaching these like big dump streaming things. Go watch Sandman. <laughs> there you go. Go check it out. I give it a 10 out of 10. Same. It's fantastic. It was really, really fun. Um, I loved it. Everyone was attractive. Oh my god, dream so it was hot. Nice. <laughs> um, he's like, he's like, Angel, and and Edward Cullen had a baby, and it's like the broodiest early two thousands <laughs> Tumblr dream boy I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> you showed me a meme last night. That was a tweet. Uh, I guess it was a tweet, not a meme. But you showed me a tweet last night that was like. Okay, which early 2000s Tumblr girl got a job as a Netflix exec? And it was a picture of Dream, a picture of the guy who plays Vecna in Stranger Things, and a picture of the guy who plays Jigsaw in Punisher. <laughs> it's true. And it was like, which, which one of you 2010s Tumblr girls got a Netflix exec job? I don't know, but they're doing the thing for the rest of us. <laughs> they're taking care of their mm. homies. Anyway, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Get out and watch Sandman. If Heck you want yes. more episodes of Cover B, you can find them on our website at coverbpodcast.com. That's right. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cover B Podcast. So everyone, have a good weekend. I hope you get out there and find your dream, and I hope he's the sweetest that you've ever seen. Bum, 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 bum. Have a good weekend. And as always, I've been Chris. This has been T. It's true. And you have been listening to, to Cover, Cover B. B. Bye, everybody. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, my God.